first-time guest or if you've never gotten connected and plugged in, there is a QR code that's going to pop up behind me or you got a connect packet on your way in. Whatever way that you, you, you got your information, go ahead and let's have you fill out some information. That way Pastor Angela can connect with you some point this week, see how she can pour into you and pray for you. Guys, today is the last day of the 21 days of prayer, but... We continue it throughout this week on Thursday. We do have our worship and prayer meeting. That information is online. Next week, we start being able to sign up for small group season. Woo! All right, nobody else is excited. Whatever, I am. It's going to be fun. All right, after the second service, we have Meet the Pastor in Auditorium 1. I am excited and ready for Pastor Sean to come up in here and bring the word of God alive to all of us. So let's kick it off. somebody next to you welcome to church okay okay we're getting it lined out I may have to jump to a different microphone several all, all the stuff that we're working through right now if you're feeling a little bit warm they're trying to get it cooler for us and, uh, and I've been told it's getting a little cooler but we're catching up so I'm, the mic keeps going out I'm just gonna keep this one right all right how's that much better all right, I feel like I got some power now. How many of you guys brought your Bibles to church today? You should have, because we're right in the middle of a series about the Bible, about the Word of God. I want to tell you again, welcome to church, and let's welcome everybody who's online watching right now. Give them a great big hand. We love you guys, and we're so thankful that you joined us. We're so thankful that we get to do life together. It means everything to us. 
we, we don't forget that you're on there, and I like to go back and watch and read the comments, and uh, I just, I, I think it's amazing that we get to do what we are doing, even in the theater here. Some people said, how do you set up every week? It's so much work. I love doing that work because it means we get to have church together. I love that our team comes together early and high fives and just has a, a, a blast setting up and getting ready for church, but I'm super excited to see everyone as we're getting through the end of summer. Somebody said amen. Summer, summer is almost over. Kids are going back to school. Programs are starting. Everybody is trying to get back in the rhythm and ready for fall. Uh, but right now we are starting week number three of 21 days of prayer. Somebody said amen. We are praying. If you're not praying for something, then I just want to challenge you to pray towards something. Pray towards the presence of God. Like we are looking to have more of God's presence, more of God's power, more of God's word, more prayer time, more worship time, leaning into everything that he has for us. And if I, I hope that you're not missing out on that. I love seeing everybody. So many faces at our prayer service in the middle of last week. We have one more left this Thursday, 7 p.m. at the Auburn Lakes Community Center. Come join us. Set it on your calendar to be there. Listen, here's how you get there. You don't say this. You don't say, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what the, the week looks like. No, just plan on being there. Write it in your calendar. Write it in your in your mind and just tell everybody we're going to be there and we're going to have a blast praying and lifting. We have worship together and then we pray together. It's just a really, really amazing time where we get to lean in, as we keep saying. So I want to start today with um, with the last of solid rock, solid ground, as we Finish this series. I have so much I want to tell you. It's going to be a really, I'm just going to tell you that the last week, if you, how many guys were here last week? Okay. This week, like last week, is a, it's going to be a really big message. There's a lot of things I want to tell you. So get your notes ready. If you have your notes, pull them out. You're going to need them today. This is going to be one of those messages. A lot of things you're going to want to write down. Um, and it might go too fast for you to get it. So get, get ready for it. Get your pens ready. So we're going to dive in with the very first verse of this series. And it says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus said, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The wind and the wave comes, and he is not crushed. He is not broken. He's, he doesn't fall down. But those of us who hear the word but don't put it into practice, that's like the foolish person who builds on the sand. And then when the storms of life come, what happens? All of it crashes down. So we want to be that, that group of people, that family, that dad, that mom. We want to build our life on solid ground. That's taking God's word and putting it into practice, building on a rock. And that, that we've been looking at how do we practically do that. Um, last week, because of an experience that I had, on a, uh, a bus tour of the city, we did a, a tour of the Bible. We went from the beginning all the way to the end. And really just, hopefully, you, if you were here last week, hopefully you left with a better understanding, a better appreciation, better familiarity. Like, I know this. I'm familiar with God's Word. I know what it's about. I know the story. I know how it works. If I open it up and I land in any section, hopefully. So if you, if you missed that one, go back and watch it. Um... The week before that, we uh, we talked about living in God's word, not and and actually putting it into practice. 
The week before that, we talked about prayer. We talked about how do we take God's word and uh, take the scripture, observe it, apply it, and pray it. And that was soap, right? Some of you guys are still doing your soap study. I hope that you stick with that. We're going to continue to do that this month and next month. And the next month, we'll continue to put out what verse, what chapter we're on every single day so you can continue to do a soap study with us. If you didn't, if you, if you didn't get a part of that, go back and watch it or just pick up your soap study guide on the way out. They have those at the table in the foyer and you can follow along with us this week. Um, I, I had this amazing message planned. <laughs> just tell you, I had an amazing message planned because uh, on, on Friday I was scheduled to do jury duty. I was, yes. <laughs> and I just had this idea. I thought, man, this is perfect. This exact thing that we need to do to explain what I want to explain in this message. And uh, I just, it just so happened that while, while I was getting ready for thinking about jury duty, trying to figure it out, I ran across something trending on Twitter that was uh, how to get out of jury duty in four words or less. So I thought I would, sh I thought I would show, show you a couple of those. And that was Ben says, just kept yelling, I want the truth. <laughs> if you yell that, if you just yell that, then they'll probably just send you home. I kept telling Angela, you know, I would rather get there and then do my duty but it'd be great to be sent home and just get back to business. Or ask, uh, is Judge Judy here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one was. Show me the next one. I have narcolepsy. And then just fall over like you're asleep. And then they'll probably send you home. One that was very popular was, I see dead people. If you say that, they're probably just going to look at you. That might actually cause more problems than not. Michelle said, I know the culprit, and then you just talk about aliens. And then finally, uh, Douglas uh, said, I'm a pastor. And he said that gets him kicked off jury duty every single time. So I thought I had the perfect plan. That will work, although I really wanted to serve on jury duty. What actually happened was they sent me a message that it would be postponed for weather. So, so because of the bad weather, they sent me uh, the postponing, and so I'm rescheduled. But my message was already planned all around jury duty and all around the jury because I want to present a case today. And so what I'm going to do is make you the jury. And there are no excuses that you can get out of it with. So you just have to listen to the case that I'm going to build that is the Bible trustworthy. Is the Bible true? Is the Bible real? Like, I trust God, but do I trust all the people who put the Holy Bible, somebody had to bind this up and put the chapters and the books together. Do I trust them enough? Because they're not God. So how can I trust this? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you seven evidences, seven pieces of evidence, and you're going to make a decision at the end of the message today. So we'll start with Exhibit A as I present my case, the historic evidence. Are y'all ready? Okay. So stay with me. We're going to move kind of fast. So exhibit A is the historic evidence for the Bible being true and for the Bible being God's word and real and accurate. I've, I've even heard pastors say that, well, I believe the Bible is true, but to a certain extent, maybe it's exaggerated a little bit. And 
Some pastors say, well, even the Garden of Eden is like an allegory of Adam and Eve. There really was never a man named Adam and Eve. I actually believe that everything written in the Bible is true, even the parts that you might think, well, that's a little, that's a little far-fetched. In fact, it's, it's humanly impossible to live in a whale for three days. But actually, I agree with that. It is humanly impossible. But what I believe is that the Bible shows us the true story of things that are humanly impossible that God did. That's why we call it a miracle. I agree that the virgin birth is humanly impossible. And parting the Red Sea and making the sun stand still and healing the blind man. I believe that all of those things are humanly impossible. And that's why we need a God who does miracles. So let me show you this in Psalm chapter 33, verse four, for the word of the Lord is right and true. The word of the Lord is right and true. Can we, I don't know why we keep skipping ahead. Okay, here we go. The word of the Lord is right and true, but I don't want to just give you evidence from the Bible that the Bible is real. I want us to look at the actual historic evidence. So Three historical accuracy standards that are used in, in looking at all manuscripts, ancient manuscripts. The first is eyewitness accounts. Who actually saw it and who actually wrote it? Was it written by people who didn't live it? In, in our case, it was written by people who actually did live it. In the fact uh, of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written by people who actually lived with Jesus. The second historical accuracy standard is this, that it was recorded and copied with extreme care. So like this, this doesn't mean like if I asked you to copy the Bible and then you just made a copy of the Bible by hand because God actually chose a people to carry his word that were extremely accurate. They, they didn't just sit down and, okay, let, let me make a copy and have somebody proofread it. Like whenever I write something, a letter, for instance, or an email, and then I proofread it and realize there's 50 mistakes in there. In fact, the Jewish people were known for being some of the most historically accurate scribes. They wrote and rewrote and wrote and and when they, when they wrote and copied the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, what they would do is they actually didn't transcribe it word for word. They transcribed it letter for letter. So they would look at the manuscript, one letter, and then come bring that letter, write a letter, and then back. And it would take a very long time, so much so that they knew the count of every letter. They knew how many letters were the entire, all five books. And they knew, they knew which letter was the very center letter and then they would find that letter and count backwards both ways and if the number wasn't correct they would throw it away and start over like down to the very act they they knew this is god's word it matters if every letter is correct so meticulous standard of translating was kept when when building this and you would think, and we talked a lot about this last week, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. You would think that maybe it would be diluted over time. That's not true. Every time a new translation is made, they go back to the original manuscripts. And the third accuracy standard is this. It's archaeological confirmation, meaning that every place in the Bible, every uh, person historically has been confirmed through other sources. And 
through archaeological digs. They find the cities that are mentioned, and they are in the place where they say they were, except one. And they look for it for a long, 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 long time. Up until the 1900s, most all the cities from the Bible had been found, and all of the people groups or the nations that were mentioned, except there was one group of people that uh, historians could never find the Hittites. And the Hittites are mentioned throughout the Old Testament. They never could find them until the early 1900s, an archaeological dig found record of these people and finally checked the box. Finally, we found these people. And so everything in the Bible has been confirmed outside the Bible. So, there's, there's probably no book on earth that has been as meticulously cross-examined and tried to be discounted. Like, there are literally armies of people trying to say it's not true, but they can't disprove it. If they had, we would know. Okay, so exhibit B, not just the historical accuracy, but here's the scientific evidence, and here's probably where we spend, we will spend the most time, and then I have a few more that we'll, we'll show you after this, but I, I want you to know that there's a, a great debate between uh, spirituality and science and re or religion and science, God and science. There's a, uh, a lot of people just say, hey, look, trust the science. Scientists know. Studies have shown, they tell us to trust the science, but the problem with trusting the science is that science changes. You guys probably know that they, science used to think that the earth was the center of the universe. And then they thought the sun was the center of the universe, and now they tell us that there is no center to the universe. As they figure out a little bit more and a little bit more, as they see a little bit further, in the 1980s, they thought that dinosaurs went extinct because of a volcano. Now they say they think it's because of a meteorite. But you see what I'm saying? The story evolves and the story changes. They figure out a new detail. Oh, that changes everything. They used to think that dinosaurs like T-Rex uh, looked like what we saw on uh, Jurassic Park. Now they say they may have looked like birds with feathers. We don't know. They used to they told us at first that, uh, trust the science, wear a mask. And then they said, don't wear a mask. And then they said, do wear a mask. And now we don't know. Or we do know, right? We're trying to follow the science. The thing about the Bible is that 1,600 years later, thousands of years later, in some cases, it's still relevant. And it's still true. And it's still accurate. And I'm going to show you how it's still accurate. but still relevant over 1,600 years later. Psalm 148 says, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command, and they came into being. He set them into place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. The things that we see God do, it says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we go back, that's why we can still find the meaning even in the Old Testament. Stuff that was written thousands of years ago. There have been many books written to discount this as the Word of God. One book that's in the Louvre in Paris uh, was written in 1861 by the French Academy of Science, and it was the 51 incon 
incontrovertible scientific facts that prove that the Bible is wrong. And today, all 51 of those facts have been disproven. So the Bible, the Bible actually wins again. I want to show you a couple things where the, where the Bible actually goes against known science at the time. The first of which, uh, they used to think a few hundred years ago that the earth was flat. In fact, there's some people who still believe that, but we won't go there. They used to, science used to think, scientists used to think that the earth was flat. And yet, if they would have just read Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verse 22, it says, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And that word circle is like sphere or globe, where we get our globe from. Science used to say that the earth has to be held up. The earth has to be held up. The Greeks thought it was uh, held up on the back of Atlas. The Egyptians thought there were five pillars that held up the earth. And yet, and yet, the scripture says, Job chapter 26 Job chapter 26, in one of the oldest written, we talked about this last week, that the Bible's not written in chronological order, but Job would have actually fit right into one of the first ten chapters of Genesis. So some of the earliest writing is Job, and Job says he spread out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. And yet, for ages and ages, through all of the ancient world, people said that the earth was held up. Some people even believed that it was riding on the back of a turtle. And yet Job, if they had just gone back to the beginning of God's word, says that God holds the earth on nothing. They used to say that the number of stars could be counted. Hipparchus in 150 BCE said that he counted the stars and that there were 1,022 of them. That seems absurd now, right? Because we know that there, there are many, many, many more times that. But even 300 years later, Ptolemy in 150 AD said that, no, Hipparchus, you missed it by four stars. There's actually 1,026 stars. <laughs> and yet today scientists tell us that there are over 200 billion trillion stars. If they would have just gone back to the scripture, right? If they had just gone back to God's word, Jeremiah in, in chapter 32, 22 says that the stars of the sky cannot be counted. Wow. You know that there is a satellite, there is a program today that is attempting to count the stars. But I'm telling you, just like Jeremiah said, from the spirit of God, that the stars of the sky cannot be counted. Are you guys hearing this? Yes. You seeing that God gave us the truth before science ever knew. Before, before science ever had any of it. So how many guys are, you want to go a little bit deeper? Yes. Okay, I just need one. All right, I got, I got two. Two want to go a little bit deeper. 
You can write this down, but I'm going to spend about 45 seconds on this because it goes a little bit deeper. There are five things that science cannot prove no matter what, and yet we see them every day. We deal with them. We all know they're true, but science can't prove whether they even exist or not. The first one is metaphysical truth. That's like the fact that science can't prove that you have a mind and I have a mind. I know that I have a mind. Or that we're in a simulation. Some people say the science can't prove that we're not like in a video game, which is a little bit weird. They can't prove that the earth was created five minutes or 500 years ago with the appearance of age. They can guess and say, well, if this is true, it must be true. But they can't actually prove it. So that's metaphysical truth. The second is aesthetic truth. Like we can all look at the sunset and say, wow, that's beautiful. That's way more beautiful than last night. But science can't prove beauty. We can all see something and say, wow, incredible. There's also moral truth that science can't prove. Like what, what's right and what's right, what's right and what's wrong, or what's good and what's evil. Science can't prove that. We can all look at uh, the Nazis and Hitler and say, wow, that's so evil what they did. And yet science can't prove that. If they could, then we'd never have to worry about someone like Hitler doing that. Because he thought he was doing the right thing. There's also experiential truth. That's like loving someone or knowing. I, I feel like I know someone. But you can't prove that. You can't prove years of experience that I know this person. I love this person. I, I know them intimately. But science can't prove that. And finally, there's logic. Logical truth or, or mathematics. Even though there is... There's logic to say that, well, if A is true, then B must be true. Or if A plus B equals C, right? All of those things are dependent on a, guess, a, a guesswork. Like Einstein's theory of relativity depends, his special theory of relativity, relativity depends on believing that there is a, a cosmic speed limit like the speed of light. But there's no way to prove that nothing can go faster than light. We just have to assume, so most of, a science, most of science is making an assumption and then trying to disprove it. As long as we can't disprove it, it must be true. Even Einstein said that there is no absolute truth in science because no matter what we decide in a little while, someone else will prove it wrong. So you, you see where I'm going with science? Science is hard to check. Science acts like it's the absolute authority on everything. Like, that's not what the science says, but science can't really tell us anything except for what they've learned up to this point. And so often they're di they are, have been disproven by the Word of God. Because the Word of God doesn't change. I hope, you, I hope you're getting something today. I hope that you're realizing there is something so powerful in these words. Exhibit C, I'll give you. To end, you're going to have to make your decision of whether or not you're going to trust what God's word says. There's the prophetic evidence, and this is the most risky of all of the evidences because this is where God could have just said, hey, I know what's going on. This is this, this is this, this, and this. And then we would see, but he went beyond that and made over a thousand prophecies that this would happen, this will happen, this will happen, and they many of them come true. Already. In fact, when it comes to Jesus, out of those thousands of prophecies, 300, over 300 prophecies are directly about Jesus.
being the Messiah and how he would live, not just, not just to say, oh, he's going to be a handsome guy and everybody will like him. That would have been a real easy prophecy because it, it seems obvious that for a guy who changed the world, he must have been somewhat likable. But it went way beyond that. Said he would be born in Bethlehem. Said he would uh, be raised and live in Nazareth. It says that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. <laughs> Over 300 prophecies that directly were fulfilled by Jesus in the Old Testament. And then, there, it, it didn't just say it like minutes before it happened. Like, I prophesied Jesus is going to ride in a donkey because he's getting on a donkey right now. 400 years before he was born, these prophecies were made. In fact, David in the book of Psalms makes a prophecy that he will be crucified in a day when crucifixion wasn't even used to kill people. We see that it absolutely was an excruciating death. And it's all prophesied. The agony and the anguish that he would have to go through along with all of those other things. Those prophecies seems so improbable. Dr. Peter Stoner did a probability study with over 100 researchers and he studied what the probability of one person fulfilling 300 prophecies from that far ago, from, from that long ago, what the, what's the probability? And he came up with this, that one person fulfilling eight prophecies was one to the 10 to the 17th power. That's just one in eight. <laughs> he said, he described it this way, that the probability of one person fulfilling all 300 prophecies would be like taking a silver dollar. You may have heard this before. Taking a silver dollar and marking it with an X and then throwing it somewhere in Texas and then covering it up four feet deep across the whole state of Texas and then blindfolding someone, putting them in a helicopter and then flying them out and then randomly telling them to stick their arm down there and pulling out the one with the X on it. It's so improbable. One person fulfilling 16, only 16, not 300, 16 prophecies is one out of 10 to the 45, 45th power. That's astronomical already 48 prophecies is one of the 10 to the 157th power like now we're getting so big that we can't even imagine how big that is but this 300 300 one person fulfilling 300 prophecies i can tell you it's this that that number is so big i can't write it if you take every subatomic particle in the visible universe you're still not reaching that number so electrons, protons, neutrons, all the atomic, at the atomic level, all those particles in the visible universe is still not enough to show you that number. If you counted them all up, we're talking, it's so impossible what Jesus fulfilled. Revelation 22, 6 says this, the very end of our Bible, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets. See, the, 
the, the prophecies and the Bible wasn't written just by men. It was inspired by God. Words given to prophets to carry God's word. He sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And here's the deal. A lot of it has already taken place, but there's still a lot to come. And so that's why we have to realize, wait, God's word's true. We better pay attention so we're ready when we ought to be. Okay, exhibit D. Are y'all ready? Yes. The thematic evidence. This one's short, but I think it's so powerful. The Holy Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years in over a dozen countries and on three continents by 40 people in three different languages. And yet it all tells one story. The Quran, written by one man, Muhammad. Of course it all it can make sense. It was all written by one person. Confucius wrote all of his writings. They all line up. But if I if two people start writing, how how quickly without without organizing ourselves, they all lived hundreds of years apart, some thousands, and the story still fits perfectly accurately. Luke 24 27 tells about how Jesus showed the disciples in the scripture. It says, the Holy Bible was written. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning who? <laughs> so Jesus opens up the Old Testament at that time, the, the scriptures, and shows the disciples, hey, in Genesis, see Moses here? Let me show you where I fit into that. The whole Bible tells the story of Jesus. We talked all about that last week. Exhibit E. This one's maybe the most powerful. And that is that it's trusted by Jesus. Jesus looked at the scriptures and said, hey, if you believe in me, you got to believe in the Father. If, you, if he points at the scriptures and said, these things point to me, isn't that a testament that we should embrace the scriptures as well as God's word? Matthew 5.18, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. God gave us a story, a direction, a purpose. He's, he's speaking to us through his words. So if anything today, I hope that you're I know this message is a little bit different, but in, in all of these facts and figures and opening up God's word, I'm, I hope that when you pick it up, you embrace it as something that is far more valuable than any book, far more valuable than just uh, some writings from some people thousands of years ago. It truly is God's word for us. I got two more for you real quick. Exhibit F. Here's... It's crazy that the Bible has been so attacked, but that's actually proof if any other book had been as attacked as the Bible and survived, we would have to look at it. But it has survived all the attacks. The Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever, and yet it still exists, and it's still going strong, and we're still living by it today. How many of you guys have ever heard the, uh, of the French philosopher Voltaire? You may have heard. He, he had over 20,000 writings, 
but he was a, like a staunch uh, challenger to the Bible. Like he hated Christianity. He hated the idea of God and the Bible. And he actually is famous for having said that within a hundred years, the Bible will be forgotten in the 1800s. And it's actually pretty amazing. Not only did the Bible survive, as we know, but most people have forgotten that he ever said that. First Peter 1.24 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. When we put God's word in our hearts, when we let it light our path, when we follow God's word, it's so enduring, it's so powerful, it's so much stronger and firm of a foundation than anything else we could build on. I want you to hear me as I close this series. As we get ready to wrap up this idea, we'll never stop talking about the Bible, but I hope that you leave this series with something in you that says, I need God's word. I need, I need his direction. I need what the Bible gives me. Finally, exhibit G. I am the evidence. I am the evidence. The personal testimony of so many people who have been absolutely changed. It's one thing to say, hey, this is a book. It's, it's incredible. It's the best book I've ever read. But there are countless generations of people who have said this book changed my life. The words in this book are more than words and they have affected me from the inside out. They've made me a different person. You can't deny God's power, the, the power of God's words to change us. So I would just say this, if you're still in uh, doubt, then just try it and see. Test and see that this word will change your life. In John 8, 31, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will what? The truth will set you free. If you'll take the truth, if you'll listen, if you'll hear God's words and put them into practice and make them more than just a book you read or a devotion that you go through or a soap study, make it your life, build your life on it. Let it be the defining standard of what my marriage is, what my kids are, what my finances are about, what the, the direction and purpose of my life. I'm going to measure it up against God's word. So you have a choice to make. At the bottom of your paper, I put two boxes that you, you, you have to choose as the jury, as someone standing in a moment of decision for your own life. You have to decide, is this God's word or is it not? You can either say, I'm not convinced, I don't know, or you can say, I accept the Bible as God's flawless word and accept it as my final authority, and I will live by God's word. The choice is yours today. I want you guys to stand up and let's worship together.
together in closing and I want us to make a commitment at the end of four weeks I hope that the case has been made in your life that you've taken steps to open your heart to God's word and seen let it let it show you and speak to you and reveal the truth of life that's God's word is alive and living it feeds us it changes us it washes us Today, as we pray, would you just invite God to move in and have his way in your life? God, today we pray. Lord, I pray that your words have impacted someone this week, that as we open up our Bibles and our soap studies, as we dive in every day and discover your character, discover your purpose, discover your your future for us, God, that we're experiencing and, and we're exploring your thoughts and your ways not just about reading a book help us to truly experience you through your word God for all those who are looking for you who are wondering where's God at in my life God reveal yourself to them through your word God help us to have a passion for your word a hunger and a thirst an appetite to just dive in and devour your word. Plant it in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name. Before we leave this moment, 
I'd like to give an invitation for anyone in the room, anyone watching online that you don't know if what your relationship looks like with God. You might say, Pastor Sean, I don't even have a relationship with God. That's, it's non-existent. I don't even know how to describe it. It's, or maybe you're that person that's saying it's broken or it's distant or it's so, so stale. It's so old. It's so wrong. Today's the day that you can make it right. Today's the day where you can reach out to a heavenly father that truly wants to be known. Truly wants to make a way for us. God's not just this heavenly judge up in heaven that says, I bless you and then answers prayers and gives us all the things that we ask for. God is a father who has truly gone on a mission, sent his son to rescue us from sin. And the hope is that we aren't caught up in the cultures of this world that say, hey, God is this and God is this. And hey, God's all about this right now. God likes this song right now. And God, God wants you to do this today and this tomorrow. What God wants from us is for us to know him. Not for you to go to a certain church or listen to a certain message. God wants you to know him. And if you don't know him today, you can start with just a simple prayer confession and your faith and invite him into your life would you just close your head close your eyes and bow your head right where you are and if that's you I, I would invite you to pray this prayer with me would you say these words out loud everyone in the room God I invite you into my life thank you for sending your son to die for me thank you for giving you, me your word so that I can follow you. I will listen to your words. I will follow you. Forgive me of my sin. And make me whole today. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Let's give a hand for everybody who said that prayer today. Pastor Susan is going to come and help us close in worship. I love you guys. So good. Did y'all enjoy that series? So good. You know that scripture right at the end that says, the grass withers. Man, it just made me think of my front yard right now. Amen? <laughs> the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures. <laughs> See? The enemy don't like that. He does not like this. But I'm telling you right now, no, what, no matter what's in drought in your life, what you're looking around and you see it's just barren and it's withering away, the word of the Lord endures forever. God, that just makes me feel so good. Amen. Can we just celebrate that for just a second? Can you give a hand clap for God? I'm telling you, that is living water. Amen. Living water. We are so glad that you guys came, came out today. And, and if you said that prayer of salvation, maybe you're sitting in here today. Maybe you're watching online and you said yes. Your journey starts today. Amen. Hallelujah. Your life is about to change. And that is exciting. We are celebrating with you. So we're so glad that you made that decision. We're going to go in time, into our time of giving. Let me tell you that God, God gives to us every single day. We wake up to new blessings, right? Every day. You're being here and breathing and sitting here in this chair and hearing this amazing message is a blessing from God. So we're going to give back to him. We're going to give back what's already his. Amen. That he's already given us. So we're going to go into our time of giving. There are ways to give on the screen. 
We will also have a nice little uh, drop box right outside that door for you. And you can also put in that box your Connect cards. So if you have a prayer request or you're new here and you want us to reach out to you, drop that in that box right outside that door. But here we are, ending up this series, 21 Days of Prayer. Are y'all still believing for God to work in your lives today? He does not fail you. His word endures forever. Let me pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for this message. We thank you for your word being our firm foundation in our life. The very thing that we stand on, the very thing that we build, everything that you've created us to do on, Lord God. We ask that you take this blessing of this offering and you multiply it, Father. Let it change lives as only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thursday for our worship and prayer service. We love you and we can't wait to see you next week. Stay blessed.